Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto this, and declare unto us, rather, this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. The subject for this morning is the heart of defilement. The heart of defilement. We saw last week that Matthew told us in verses 7 through 9, Jesus' words to the Pharisees there was very strong and stern. He said, ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you. It was the reference, of course, from Isaiah 29, 13, that people would draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. Our Lord's words were prophetic, of course. They were the fulfillment of what Isaiah had so clearly preached in Isaiah 29, 13. And we talked last week about how Jesus himself was referring to those who just simply give lip service. They simply praise the name of the Lord and they pray, but they don't truly love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of their heart. They would obey the traditions. They would obey the externals. But internally, there was nothing left, nothing there but depravity and corruption death and spiritual decay. We learned last week that the Pharisees had began to take the Levitical laws and some of the ceremonial laws and they had turned them into commandments of God and they had changed it to where now they were even imposing upon people a, a, a custom of washing their hands before they ate. And that was the center of what the Pharisees were. They came to, to Jesus and asked, why are your disciples not washing their hands before they eat? And of course, we looked at how that was appropriate for the priests and how they were to wash their hands. But Jesus had never said and God had never commanded that before you took of bread that you had to wash your hands. They were teaching man-made rules and they were calling them God's commandments, which is always a very dangerous and a deadly thing. And so Jesus is still talking about this subject and that's how we end, we end the reading this morning in verse 20 when He says, it is not eating with unwashed hands that defiles a man. He really goes to, uh, pardon the pun, He goes to the heart of the matter. The problem is not the unwashed hands. The problem is the heart. 
that which defiles a man is that which comes from inside the man. It's the heart. The heart of defilement. You'll notice that as Jesus called the multitude together in verses 10 and 11, He wanted them to understand. He says very clearly, hear and understand. Now, we know that he is, he is speaking in a sense, He's speaking a parable. And as we learn from the study of the parables, uh, not everyone is going to understand the parables, uh, but He does speak them and He wants them to understand what's being said. And He lays it right where it is. He said it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles. But rather, the defilement is what comes out of the mouth. That defiles the man. True religion, a true devotion to God, a true love for the Lord does not consist in these outward externals. It's not based upon the washing of hands. It's not based upon the keeping of these externals, the eating of meats or the refraining from eating of meats or the refraining of certain drinks. It's not in our feast. It's not in whether we're fasting. It's not whether we're washing or we're not washing. It's not about what goes into us, it's what comes out of us, which is the main problem. It's the heart. It's the heart of defilement. Now it's interesting that as Jesus says this, He says these very strong, stern words, and I believe it's directed at the Pharisees, and that's what the context has been. But you'll notice that it's the disciples that bring up a question in verse 12. His disciples come unto Him and they ask a very uh, interesting question to say the least. Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this say? They say, Lord, do you realize that what you just said, you offended the Pharisees? Now this tells us a little bit about where the disciples were in this matter because they did really consider the opinion of the Pharisees because there is some concern in this verse. They are concerned, Lord, You have offended the Pharisees. These Pharisees, of course, were the ones who had set themselves up as the judge of all things. They were the ones who passed the final judgment, if you will, on what was spiritual and what was not spiritual. They were judges upon everything and they would declare that they were correct and they were proper in their religion, yet Christ offended them by His plain teaching. The plain teaching of the Word of God, the plain teaching of Christ, will always offend that which is not an authentic believer. The Word of God offends The problem isn't that the Word of God is offensive. It's the problem. The person that is offended is because it's a matter and a problem of the heart. The Word of God, truth, as Jesus will go on to say, always brings offense. And yet, the Pharisees, what were they most offended by? I would say they were most offended by verse 20. Because Jesus, again, goes right at what they said was required and was the heart of the matter. Again, excuse the pun. The heart of the matter is they were about the washing of hands and Jesus says it has nothing to do with the washing of hands. That's what they were offended at because He uprooted 
what their man-made tradition was. I don't believe they were offended at all about what defiles a man. I don't believe they were offended by Jesus using words like evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. That's not what offended them. What offended them is Jesus said, this man-made tradition you have come up with about the washing of hands, that's not the problem. You see, that which is not truly seeking after the Lord is not going to be offended by the right things. Jesus is telling the truth of the matter. The Pharisees' offense was without question his making so light of something that they considered to be so important. Remember, the Pharisees were, were certain and that they were right in this, that if you did not observe this hand washing, then you certainly were in the wrong and you certainly could not be anywhere near God. The Pharisees, again, were offended. Now remember what Jesus had called them. He called them hypocrites. Those who praise me with their mouth, those who honoreth me with their lips, but what did he say about their heart? He said, their heart is far from me. Hypocrites are always offended by real truth. Hypocrites are especially offended by anything that requires them to give true worship and proper reverence to God. Take away the power of their external rights and their actions, and you've undone their entire religion. You see, the problem is the Pharisees did not have a true devotion of heart. They were not devoted to God, they were devoted to the appearance of godliness, they were devoted to what appears to be right, but the Pharisees were not about glorifying God, they were about glorifying themselves. The hypocrite always does what he or she does to get the applause of man. Churches are filled with hypocrites. Churches are filled with people that the doors open on Sunday and they praise the Lord, they sing the hymns, and before they get to their vehicles, there's nothing any different. There's not been a change. We've picked up the hymn book, we've sang through the hymns together, we've bowed our head in prayer, but it's nothing but lip service. It's nothing but I've just done what I believed is required of me, but I don't really have a devotion. Now remember, the, the, the disciples were truly concerned about Jesus' offense, and that's, again, He doesn't turn them and explain about this, but he says something very powerful when he says to them, but he answered and said, notice his wording here, every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. The truth will always uproot or overturn error. Jesus clearly says there are those who are planted by the Lord and those who are not planted by the Lord. There are those that are mine. There are those that are not. This is one of those verses for the opponents of sovereign electing grace. You don't have the, they have no answer for this. Because he clearly says there are every plant that is not planted 
by the Lord shall be rooted up. It refers our minds back to the wheat and the tares. And remember how we spoke about how the wheat and the tare was intermingled together so that it was so closely in resemblance you could not tell the difference. And the disciples wanted to burst forth and say, why don't we just uproot them all? And He said, no, the time for that is coming. And that will be in the final days and the final judgment. Jesus is not concerned about offending the Pharisees. I'm not trying to be irreverent, but He doesn't turn to the guys and say to the disciples, guys, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I'm sorry my words were harmful. No, He's going to actually begin to pronounce judgment on those who will not hear. He uses words like those who aren't planted by the Lord. He uses blind leaders. And then when we get to it, He actually uses the phrase, let them alone. In other words, let them be. That is actually a word of judgment. Leave them alone. Leave them in their own depravity. Leave them in their own sin. Leave them alone. I have no doubt at all that Jesus Christ Himself, many of the things He said was with the intent and intentional purpose that these deceitful Pharisees would be discovered by people. That He would undo what they claimed to be. And that what He was saying was not to soften or tone down the message, but rather so that their deceitfulness would be uncovered. Listen, we're living in a day and age, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but we're living in a day and age when everybody, including the church, is being asked to tone it down. And churches are caving to this. They're toning it down. They're making it more palatable for people. And churches are now apologizing for the message of the Gospel. And they're saying, oh look, we don't want to hurt your feelings. Has there ever been a more easily offended generation of people than the generation we live in now? I mean people are offended at everything. And the church has started to apologize. Jesus is not apologizing for what He said about them. He, he said they are a fulfillment of prophecy. They are these people that are hypocrites that draw nigh with their mouth, but they are far from Me. Their heart is so defiled, it's nowhere near Me. Those that say we only want the Jesus who is here to compromise and to bring people together. Show me in Scripture where Jesus was said to come and bring people together. The Gospel is like a sword. It divides. It cuts. You say, you can't preach that in our society. That's too, that's too divisive. Then we would have to preach something false. The Word of God is going to offend. And if you were saved by the grace of God before you came to a realization that you needed to be saved and that God gloriously saved you, this book offended you to the very core. 
As a matter of fact, there was probably a point in time when you hated what you were hearing. You know, we've got this watered-down gospel now that says, we don't really want to tell you what you are. We just want to give you the positive aspect of what's going to happen in your life if you get saved. Listen, this book is going to make you mad as a hornet before God's saving grace takes you and saves you. Because you can't read books, you can't read things like this about calling out your sin and not be offended. It's going to offend the sinner because the reality is the Bible says the sinner loves their sin. But Jesus is more emphasizing the reality and destroying this idea that the washing of hands had any real spiritual value. Remember, the Pharisees were the icons of the day. People respected the Pharisees. I think sometimes we're looking back and we think, boy, this would have been easy for us just to simply look at them and say, why are you following them? The Pharisees were the icons. They were the people that when they would come through town, people respected them. They looked at them and said, these are the purveyors of Bible knowledge. They know the Scriptures. They know the way to God. And Jesus says, all of your things don't mean anything. It's lip service. From beginning to end, it's lip service. Jesus intentionally puts truth in the very form that would offend them. You say, you mean to believe that Jesus' words were intentionally offending? His words, just by the nature of His words, are offensive. I don't believe Jesus sits there and says, how can I really get at these? See, we have this idea that Jesus just conjures up these motives and say, well, I'm going to really let him have it. He's just speaking that which is truth. Remember Jesus, he's standing before Pilate. Pilate asked that question, what is truth? Jesus is all but telling him, truth is standing right before you. So Jesus responds to their question. Every plant Every one of them that my Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. And then words of judgment. Verse 14, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. He's talking about spiritual blindness. Eyes that cannot see. And what does he say about eyes that cannot see? If you have spiritual eyes that are blinded spiritually, they will lead the blind and both of them are going to fall in the ditch. There are churches all over this country that are the spiritually blind leading the blind and people are walking right into a ditch. They think these aren't blind guides. They're the, they are the ones who know. Jesus says, let them alone. They're the blind guides. You're gonna, they'll walk right into the ditch with them. He did not tone down his previous language, but he revealed the true nature of them. Folks, let them alone is a severe judgment being pronounced against them. The greatest judgment that could ever be pronounced on a sinner is let them alone. And you know today that if Jesus Christ had let you alone and had left you to yourself, you would be on your way straight to a place called hell and you'd have no remedy 
As we've learned today, you'd have nothing to pay. Jesus Christ took it upon Himself, paid your sin debt, and paid it in full, paid it to the satisfaction of the Father. And today we ought to rejoice. And if you are in Christ today, you ought to say, thank, thank the Lord above that He did not leave me alone. Well, I'd rather let a, let a person choose for themselves. You realize what you're saying? There is none righteous, no, not one. There's not a single one that seeks after God. Left to yourself, you would never, ever, ever have woke up one day and got up and say, I think I'm going to find God today. I'm going to search for God today. There's none righteous. And yet, Christ came to us. Here's Jesus standing in the midst and He pronounces a judgment. And He says, leave them alone. They're blind. He expanded on these thoughts when they continued. The questions keep going on because Peter then asked the question in verse 15, declare unto us this parable. Peter is still lacking some understanding in this. And Peter is responded to by Jesus by saying these words, and ye also, are you also yet without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out in the draught? Jesus very clearly declares it is not those things that are coming in. It's what's already there. Those things that are the problem, those things that proceed are the things that proceed out of the mouth. He said, what's taken in, in through the mouth goes through the belly and then it's just cast out. He said, that's not what defiles. What defiles the man is what's proceeding from it. What's proceeding out of what? Out of the heart. It comes forth from the heart. And that's what defiles the man. Notice that Jesus, as He puts it right where it is, He says the main matter here to be considered is the heart, not the mouth. Notice how our Lord here puts to a very, He puts the, the, the very cutting motion to anything that just looks good. Anything that's external. And He says no matter how good it looks, no matter how well it appears to be the purveyor of truth, He said it's worthless. If the heart's not right. There's a lot of things that look good. There's a lot of religious trinkets. There's a lot of religious shiny things that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself would simply say, that's worthless. That's of no value. We could have as many ceremonial washings as we wanted. We could have as many external things as we could possibly fit into a day. We could restrict our diet. We could follow everything the Bible says. We could wear a certain garment, not wear a certain garment. Observe this day, observe, not observe that day. But all of those external things without a change of the heart are absolutely worthless. 
We have had to say that in our churches for so many years, people just think it's a cliche. And you have to say it over and over again. External rights are no value if there's no change in the heart. Your attendance here today is worthless if there's not a change in your heart. Those that simply say, well, I've done what I should have done for today. God will be happy with me. God will be pleased with me. So certainly He's going to save me. All outward religion is of no value if our heart is not savingly affected by the grace of God. Peter is asking more about this source of defilement. He wants to understand it. Jesus tells him further that it's out of the heart. And I think most of us would say if we were to rank our sins, these are right up there. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemy. He said, these these don't have their origin on the outside. They have their origin on the inside. In the heart. Comes forth. The problem Jesus is saying is that these evil thoughts, these murders, these adulteries, these fornications, they are a manifestation of what the heart is producing. It is sin that defiles the man. It's sin. Out of the heart, he says. They not only come from a defiled nature, but they further defile the man. That's what he says. Notice it's, it, it, is, it is not only does it proceed, but they defile the man, verse 18 says. That's the source or the heart of defilement. Jesus proves that the very things from within are of the most defiling nature. If we're defiled, it makes us unfit for communion with God. It makes us unfit to even perform even the simplest of religious duties. And Jesus again, as He's uprooting this whole reality, He says washing the hands will have no effect on the heart of defilement. It's not going to affect it at all. Imagine those who had never been brought to a place of repentance, these Pharisees, were more horrified, were more bothered, were more angered, were more offended by the disciples eating bread with unwashed hands than they were about the corruption of their own heart. Imagine getting that way. Imagine being more concerned with the outward rather than the inward. Being more concerned about what you're not doing instead of the corruption of your own heart. Our prayer must always be that Christ has cleansed us. He's he's washed us from the sin. Folks, we we ought to hate sin 
more than anything in this world. I'm afraid we're getting to a place where we have a strong dislike for sin, but we don't hate it. We don't hate it. We're becoming a little bit more accommodating. The church in this country is slowly being brainwashed to accept sin and be okay with it or be threatened with a loss of some sort. Tone down your message or lose your church. That's what's coming. Tone it down or you're going to lose it. Well, here's a promise and something you can say to them. You can't lose what God has ordained. And you cannot lose the true church of God. You can put fire to this building, but you cannot destroy the true church of God. The true church will continue to march forward. But the churches that are caving to whatever is politically correct of the day, they're just demonstrating the defiled heart. You say, but we we can't take such a strong stand on the social issues. Of course we can. Jesus took a strong stand on them. He pointed exactly what the problem is. He calls it what it is. Murder is murder. Adultery is adultery. Fornication is fornication. You can call it whatever you want. You can try to water down the message and make it seem more, more acceptable, but God will always call it what it is. Even to the offense of people. These are the things. Listen, we may be here today and we don't even realize what we're relying on. We may today be relying on some outward form, some, some form of obedience, some form of ritual. And we're trusting in that to purify us. The fact that Jesus... Not only earlier He said to them, let them alone. And we'll deal with this beginning next week. In verse 21, He said, then Jesus went thence. He didn't even acknowledge them. He went away. His own word concerning them was a declaration of judgment and it was evidenced by the fact that He walked away. He did severely leave them alone. He went His own way. We could try today, I could could try to give you a crude human illustration of how corrupt the human heart is, and I would fail. Because whatever we think the heart is, apart from the saving grace of God, it's worse. Now, we believe in depravity, in total depravity, but it doesn't mean that we are as bad as we possibly could be. Isn't that something? Not as bad as it could be. But look at what man, what has come forth from the heart of man. Look what's, look what's being invented. Look what's being perverted. Look what's being corrupted. And the subtlety of sin 
Again, parents, be careful about this. The subtlety of sin that is being introduced to your children, not just in school, but you better be paying really close attention to the entertainment. Again, oh, don't meddle there, preacher. You better be very careful about what you're giving approval of because what maybe it used to be, it ain't that anymore. You set your child down in front of something and you think that's just harmless. Sit down and watch it first and see if that's harmless. See if you're not picking up the intentional defilement or the attempt to try to put bad things. But the child's already got the heart of, already has a corrupted heart without the saving grace of God. And we're putting wicked things before our eyes. And we're saying, well, that's not really that bad. The idea that Jesus undoes here about the heart, He's not only uprooting external rules of taste not, touch not, handle not, which again, they never will handle or never will address the real problem. What is the real problem? It's the evil that lies in man's hearts. I can't force the working of God in the heart of a person. I can't force that conversion. I can't make somebody come to a realization, but I certainly know that it is only through Jesus Christ, through the working of the power of the Spirit, that can change the heart. In order for us to even obey God and be in proper communion with God, there has to be a change in heart. If our hearts don't change, if there's not saving grace, then we are not going to be able to have any real obedience to God. There are some, sadly, who believe even in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, which we'll observe here in just a moment, that there's something in this that's going to save you. This isn't a saving ordinance. This is not something that's going to save you. It's something that you're remembering what has already taken place. I've already been redeemed. And now I remember what Christ has done for me. I remember His sacrifice. Listen, if you're in Christ, there has been a heart change. It doesn't mean that we won't sin anymore. It doesn't mean that we're going to have perfect, perfect motives and perfect hearts all the time and always doing the right thing. But there's a change. We are a new creature. We're a new creation. These Pharisees, the last thing they saw as Jesus left was Him simply walking away. I'm grateful to know today that Jesus Christ did not leave me alone. I'm grateful that He looked, knew my defiled, corrupt, wicked, awful heart. He still knows it. He still knows that I'm not what I'm always supposed to be. He knows I still struggle with sin. Some of it is an intentional sin when I know it's wrong and I still do it. And so do every one of you. And He didn't leave us alone. 
But he also didn't give us license, as Paul said, to just sin against that grace. But rather, it ought to resulted in a change. Listen, there's nothing better today than to know that you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. There's nothing better to know that your eyes have been opened to see these great truths. But it's also one of the greatest privileges we have is to be able to rejoice in the saving grace that God has bestowed upon us. Jesus Himself was given as a gift from the Father a people of His own, a people that He would die for. And His death upon the cross was not just making salvation possible, it was accomplishing your very salvation so that you would have no room to be able to say, here's my contribution. The only thing you could have contributed is a defiled heart that is not able to be in communion with God apart from a heart change. I trust today that you know Christ as your Savior. I trust that there has been a time when repentance of your sin and a belief that Christ alone is the only way of salvation. Again, I'm not inviting you to accept that. It's a command of the Word of God to repent and be saved. This isn't something you take home and think about. It's not something you ponder. It's an obedience to the command, repent and believe the Gospel. And anyone who comes forward not to an altar, don't have to walk an aisle, but says, I come to Christ. He will not cast out. And yet, so many will not. I do know that the Lord, the Lord word promises that He will lose none. We don't know who all are. But I know that He's not going to lose one. And I take great comfort in knowing that because I know that Jesus Christ is not going to leave one of His sheep behind. And He's not taking them because they were good. He's not taking them because they were valuable. He's taking them simply on the merits and the basis of His own righteousness, to which is one of the great mysteries of why any of us are saved. Never, ever, ever should the grace of God be a badge of pride for you to wear around and strut around as if you've done something. We've done nothing. We've done nothing. Have you ever had those moments where you just simply become overcome with the goodness of God towards you? You don't know why it's happening then. You don't know where it's coming from, but you just realize God is so good. Oftentimes, it's a reminder of what we should have received. We should have received hell and we should have been condemned and we should have been left alone to our own devices. But yet Christ in His mercy has saved us. Before we move into our time of observing the Lord's Supper, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look to Your Word today, 
Lord, we're reminded that in your sight, apart from the righteousness of Christ, we have nothing to boast in. We have nothing that we can claim as the reason why we should be accepted in the beloved. But Father, we are certainly grateful this morning to be able to know that Christ has paid it all. And we truly owe Him all that we are and all that we have. Father, as we prepare our hearts for this time when we can observe the Lord's Supper together, I pray that our minds would be stayed upon the truths of the gospel and the realities of what this means for us. But Lord, may we never lose sight of the reality of what our heart really is. And that we're thankful for the grace that has saved us. Father, we praise and we worship you. And we thank you for all that you've done. And it's in Christ's name I pray and ask these things. Amen. If you